You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. So the rabbit hole I really dove down this week was really looking more in depth into snow leopard conservation and it found a very interesting study that was published in 2020. What can they teach us? It's how they move oxygen to the parts of the body that need it. And they do this by having more red blood cells. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. This is a fun one. I know it's another cat. We've been on a cat kick lately. Or, yeah, a kit cat, a cat kick. Either but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited to cover snow leopards finally. Yes, Chris, the snow leopard, the most elusive of the big cats, the ghost of the mountains, one of the least understood big cats. Just incredible. Uh, uh, the highest altitude of any cat, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, up to mm-hmm. 20,000 feet. Beautiful and rare and in need of our conservation help big time. It, it, they Big time, big time. They're, they're, we'll talk a lot about their conservation story today, and they definitely are beloved. I was up close and personal with them at the San Antonio Zoo back in the the first decade of the 2000s. I you know, I got to uh to work closely with them and be right across yes. the cage wire from them. Yeah. Oh, it's so awesome. And my husband John uh in Chicago, he got to work with Yit Yang. Mm-hmm. So I got to know Yit Yang a little bit and just a beautiful cat that's a favorite among many people. and uh, But of course, we wanted to bring you some good news too. And I think the snow leopard, after all my research this week, has a pretty hopeful story. Mm-hmm. And we'll touch on that. At the end of the podcast, I'll be featuring the Snow Leopard Trust and sharing their huge effort to help conserve these beautiful cats in South and Central Asia. Uh, and their progress is really hopeful. So you're definitely going to want to hear about that. And uh, after doing a lot of research on the Snow Leopard Trust, I think I want to go work for them. I know. In the mountains of Central Asia. Like I'm that much in love with this organization Mm -hmm. and what they do for these big cats. But I think, Chris, it's a pretty feel-good story uh, to help us kick off 2022. Uh, And so we'll cover all the ins and outs and plus just their amazing adaptations to live in these high altitudes and do what they do. Just some of the footage I saw of them jumping and leaping up and down the mountains, chasing prey. It's incredible. I watch, I think I watch more nature documentaries about snow leopards than I probably have in a while for mm-hmm. a species that we covered. I love it. It was just, yeah. it was that I didn't really go down any rabbit holes. I just watched videos like <laughs> all week long. And then yes. of course, check the literature and, yeah. and, uh, but yeah, the videos, the footage is the films are just incredible. So I'll talk about some of my favorites that I watched this week as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're just, they live in such of the most remote regions in Asia. So we're, we're going to talk about that. And whenever you see them in a nature documentary, you're just like, uh, they're, they're gorgeous. Well, I learned too that even when the people making the nature documentaries see the cats, they're so rare that it's like huge. It's just a mm-hmm. big event for celebration, which is mm-hmm. pretty awesome. 
And then this week, I want to dedicate this episode to Rachel, who's been doing our website write-ups for the last uh, few months. If you haven't had a chance, check out our website, allcreaturespod.com. Again, you go in there, and we link videos and the, the pictures and images. But she's doing an amazing job. She's citing a lot of studies. Uh, you know, it, it's just, it's more in depth than what Angie and I can cover uh, in the podcast. And if you can follow her on Instagram, she does wildlife artwork and it is Tilly underscore mint 08, T-I-L-L-Y underscore M-I-N-T-08. I will promote some of her work uh, this week on Instagram. She actually, I'm going to see if I can commission her. She doesn't know this yet, but I'm going to ask her to commission her a piece of New Zealand. She's done one for Australia and some other other places. But if she can do this drawing of New Zealand and some of our species like the Tuatara and the Kiwi, I would love it. So Rachel, I'm asking you live on air or <laughs> whenever you listen to this. <laughs> But she's doing this, uh, volunteering, you know, helping us out from from the goodness of her heart. So we want. I asked her what species she wanted to cover, and, and she said snow leopard. So here we are. Well, it was a fantastic selection. I'm very happy to be doing it. It was an amazing week watching videos and bringing you a lot of the fun physiological and behavioral uh, facts about these big cats that are just so impressive and elusive and iconic. So thank you, Rachel. And I'd like to give a huge shout out to Inboard Hallow 4002 for their glowing review and kind words on iTunes. Uh, it's our first review in 2022. So I love you, Inboard Hallow 4002. Thank you so much. <laughs> I love these names. <laughs> and uh, they also ask for horseshoe crabs. And Ooh, okay. I'm up for that challenge. I've seen horseshoe crabs in the wild, and I would like to learn a lot more about them. So I think we can definitely do that. So if you're out there listening and you haven't given us a glowing review on iTunes, please do, uh, or really any social media for that matter, and uh, let us know what species you want us to cover, and we'll do our best. I know. I was, I was uh, watching TV with my son this morning, my, my soon-to-be seven-year-old. His birthday's tomorrow, so happy birthday, Wyatt. And there was a thing about mantis shrimp. And I was like, oh, do you know when they, they're like the fastest striking animal, da-da-da-da-da. And I, I, it's one that we may have to do, too, this year. Um, yeah, I'm, so, I'm smiling pretty big right now because that, yeah. that's definitely another one that would be fun. Yeah, when they snap, they create plasma because it's so fast. So, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely look into doing that. With that being said, Angie, I need to do a correction from last week before we really get rolling. And that is to apologize to C. McDonald, who I misread the email. I was kind of embarrassed responding back. But... He asked not to do arachnids. He said, please don't. I don't want to open up my phone one day and see the All Creatures podcast with a picture of a spider. I will drop my phone and probably break it. So (laughs) I felt really bad. I was like, yeah, we're not really insect people and arachnids aren't our forte. So I asked him for a species that he would want us to cover. And so next week we'll be dedicated to, to him. It's a really fun one. Yeah, I think but, it's a pretty good makeup for yeah. uh, the air of our ways. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And of course, we're human and we have like 14 jobs and lots of kids between the two of us. And yeah. so sometimes <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> you misread stuff. We can misread stuff. I'm yes. sorry. I'm sorry. And, you know, just join Patreon too. And I was like, ah. <laughs> so we'll make up <laughs> oh, for it next week. Oh, man. Twist, twist the I know, I know. Well, let's describe the snow leopard. You know, how does it differ from, say, the African or Indian leopards? Oh, Chris, 
all leopards are beautiful. Um, I did realize this week that there's a much better chance of me seeing an African leopard than a snow mm-hmm, leopard mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. just because of where they live and how, how elusive they are. But they're a stunning cat. They are just beautiful. The snow leopard's base coat can be anywhere from like a creamy yellow to a smoky gray or a light gray. And some of them have like even like a white tint on the underbody or the underfur. And being a leopard, the entire body is covered with dark gray, black spots or rosettes. And so there's going to be small spots on the head, neck, in the lower half or the bottom of the legs. And the rosettes, which are basically a larger ring that is encircled by smaller spots, the rosettes are going to be found more on the main body and the tail. But one of the main differences to the snow leopard and their fur is how much there is of it because they live in these cold regions in the mountains. So their fur is much more dense and thick, almost puffy, uh, I I would say, um, just because there's so much of the fur. And their paws are just extremely large and also not fluffy, but furry or puffy uh, and bigger than a lot of other species of cat because they need to walk through the snow and these big paws act like snowshoes, which we'll talk a little bit more about later on in the podcast. But Chris, what really sets the snow leopard apart, I think, from the African leopard is its tail. Its tail is very, very long, uh, almost as long as its body, and it's covered in thick fur with the rosettes on it, making it really puffy, not not fluffy, but definitely Mm -hmm. puffy or almost like thick in appearance, and just so long. So mm-hmm. long compared to other leopards. And we'll talk about why this is, why why they evolved this way, and how they use their tail when they're running up and down the mountains uh, hunting prey. But when you're looking at photos, which we'll put on our show notes, or Rachel, I should say, mm-hmm. we'll put on mm-hmm. our show notes. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, you can really see the difference in this in how long their tail is compared to other cats. And then lastly, their heads are just beautiful. Uh, it's, they're a little bit boxier in nature than the African leopard, but their eyes, oh, the snow leopard eyes, I could get lost in them for days. They're, they range from a pale green to a light gray with a little bit of hint or gold. Some have a little bit of tint of blue in them, just haunting and mm-hmm. beautiful all at once. They, they are. I mean, when you're up close personal with them, and I think that's why they're a favorite at zoos too, is, you know, not only is it critical for their, their conservation, which we'll talk about the ones held under human care, but they're just so beautiful. I mean, and, and they're big, they're not a smaller cat. They're, they're pretty good size. You know, the males are bigger than the females. You talk about that tail, that tail can be up to 40 inches long or a hundred centimeters. I mean, that is, you know, just three and a half feet long. It, it's a big tail. Yeah, it's almost their body length. It is. Their body length can be up to 60 inches or one and a half meters. So it's almost as long as their, their body. They stand about 22 inches or 55 centimeters at the shoulder. Can weigh anywhere from like 60 to 165 pounds or 25 to 75 kilograms. So... 
you know, when you look at a large Labrador, I'm thinking of, of Pip and I's dog Arlo. So the males are about his size, maybe a little bit bigger, you know, and the females are a little bit smaller than that. So very, very big cat. Now the snow leopard ranges throughout, how do you say the central Asia? You know, many, many countries from Bhutan, Nepal, obviously China, Pakistan, Afghanistan, looking at this map all the way going around to Mongolia. You, you know, they live in alpine or subalpine regions. So the elevation's anywhere from 900 to 5,500 meters. You know, that that's that's up there. You know, was that almost 10,000 feet? You know, sure. I read 20,000, like, but I don't know. Maybe that's like the extremes. Yeah, way up there. I mean, up to 4,500 meters. So what, what's a meter? Three feet roughly, right? It's around there. Yeah, it's probably up there 16,000 to up to 20,000. Now, in the winter, they migrate down to the lower elevations because that's where the prey goes. You know, the prey aren't hanging out there up in the high elevations. But, you know, they're they're in these really remote regions of Asia. And some of them have massive ranges. So why this cat is so elusive, there, there's some snow leopards that range is almost up to a thousand square kilometers. Wow, that's so huge. They've got massive ranges. And so when you do see them in the wild, if, Angie, you know, maybe one day you'll get lucky. <laughs> you can't even see an African leopard, see a snow leopard. But that's why it's such a treat for when they capture them on film. It, it it's so hard to see them. And then I'm thinking is, is a pl- one of the planet earth series where they kept capture that sequence of a snow leopard chasing one of its prey oh, like, down the mountainside. Yes, yeah. I that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's for them to capture that. It's, it, it, it it's, it's like winning the lottery for them. Mm-hmm. It's Definitely. just so rare Definitely. to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're amazing. They're amazing, uh, just amazing animals. Now, why care? We've talked about this with apex predators, especially in in somewhere like these mountainous regions of Asia. These are it. These are the top predator. They're huge to to the ecosystem. Well, yes, Chris, as an apex predator, the snow leopard is at the top of the food chain. And so therefore their their presence in an ecosystem and their health and their population numbers are an important indicator for the overall health of the environment and other species, the, the populations that they prey upon um, and other species lower down on the food web or in the food chain. And so healthy populations of Snow leopards equal healthy populations of several other species, like everything else below them. So as an apex predator, very, very, very important in the ecosystem. But also, as you heard Chris and I gush and ooh and awe and fan over the snow leopards because, well, they're beautiful and just elusive. And because Chris and I are not alone in our love for snow leopards, They can act as a flagship species, which can help uh, encourage and motivate the public to want to take care of all the other species in the ecosystem where they live, in in that huge range that Chris was talking about, too. 
So by conserving snow leopards and protecting them, it does a lot for the ecosystem in general, um, and it, but it also helps promote the health and diversity of so many other species that inhabit their range where people are fighting to save them. Mm-hmm. No, it is. They're, they're, they're very critical. It's like any, any apex predator when we talk about it, you know, it's all, we can always go now it's such a classical study of Yellowstone and the wolves, uh, Island Isle Royale, you know, the wolves there and the, and the moose populations, it, these predators are are super super critical to not only maintaining or you know keeping the herbivores in check, but it, it, it's important for for all plant health and all the, the species that those plants support. Soils. Now we're talking about microbes in soils and their specific populations. So when you have a snow leopard being protected and areas protected, it protects all of those other thousands and thousands, if not millions, really millions of species, because when you start talking microbes and plants and all those things, so very important species to, you know, again, a very remote portion of the planet. So the rabbit hole I really dove down this week was really looking more in depth into snow leopard conservation. And I found a very interesting study that was published in 2020, uh, right before, you know, the pandemic hit. So again, it's going to be interesting in the next few years to see some of the fallout with the pandemic on conservation. You know, we, we've touched upon some of it uh, in the past few months and, it, and, and, and I am keeping my eyes and ears to that to bring those stories to you. But looking specifically at snow leopard conservation, this study was published in Biological Conservation, a very good journal, and it was Defining Priorities for Global Snow Leopard Conservation Landscapes. Multiple scientists from China, you know, out to California, Berkeley, you know, a a very big conglomerate of scientists looking at that. And they wanted to really look in depth at what's going on with snow leopard conservation and kind of establish some priorities. Now, what we know about snow leopards, they are classified by the IUCN as vulnerable. They did get downlisted. They were endangered. I was going to say, I was pretty shocked by that. I would just, uh, I always thought they were endangered, but that's why we do this podcast so we can learn more. Well, the scientists that study them, and again, IUCN takes in a lot of data, but some scientists are arguing that their population of snow leopards is actually overestimated, that they're not doing as well as some people think, but you know, they're still on the endangered species list. So, you know, there's, there still is an eye there. The population right now is a low of 3,900 adults or up to 6,300 adults okay. across a massive, massive range. You know, you're talking, you know, upwards of millions of square miles across, you know, 12 to 13 countries. So that is such a tiny population over such a huge area. The range, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's insane. Okay, now, estimated tigers in the wild is around 3,900. So snow leopards are right there with them. I kind of looked these numbers up. Lions, you're talking about 20,000 in the wild. Jaguars are doing really well. I remember we covered jaguars quite a while back, but 170,000 jaguars estimated in the wild. 70,000 African leopards, 
But if you're Angie, you wouldn't know it because you've never seen one. (laughs) I know, touchy subject, but hey, you got to keep trying. I I just need to get back to Africa and try again. And see them and see them. Uh, There's about 10,000 Indian leopards. And then the Amir leopard, there's maybe 350 left. You know, very uh, endangered population. I saw them uh, at a zoo once, the Amir leopards. They're, They're very rare, very rare. Now, in the past 20 years, snow leopards uh, have declined about 20%. It's estimated by these scientists. Habitat loss, prey loss, poaching, persecution, all things we're going to talk about. And they estimate about 450 snow leopards are poached annually. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So one of the big things, too, is retaliatory killing, which we'll talk about here in a second. So what is going on with snow leopards is following what organizations have done for tigers and jaguars, they have set up an organization for snow leopards. And it's the Global Snow Leopard and Ecosystem Protection Program. And so this was formed in 2013. And experts from 11 of the 12 snow leopard range countries got together and started to plan their conservation. Now, they've broken down certain populations into, they call them SLCUs, so snow leopard conservation units, because what works in one part of their range in conservation, so say in Nepal, won't necessarily work in Pakistan or Mongolia, you know, based on the threats and and things like that. So that was one of the first things they did is, identify the population, and then identify the threats. Now, the number one threat to snow leopards is this retaliation killing. So they estimate about 50% of all snow leopards are killed because the the leopard has killed something, um, you know, a goat, a cow. And so the farmers have gone out and and killed that snow leopard. Uh, Then poaching is the next big threat because snow leopard pelts or even cubs are captured for the pet trade. So kill mom, get the cubs for the pet trade. That does go on. And then climate change is is a massive threat to them. So, and then this group has also identified energy, minerals, and resource development, which is like, seems like every species we talk about, like even in the deep, deep ocean, uh, that's a threat to them. But like just touching upon climate change real quick, I know it's something we talk about all the time in this podcast, but they're estimating the Tibetan plateau. So this is one of those regions. So we know the poles are getting hotter quicker than say the equator. And then you and I have talked about the Andes mountains and that region is a hot spot in the world where temperatures are getting, are, are climbing faster because of the, uh, you call ecology, the mountain ranges and stuff. So the other hotspot is like the Himalayan region, which I think we've mentioned before. So they they estimate the Tibetan plateau that in the already in the last twenty years temperatures have gotten three degrees warmer on average, and you know that's affecting the glaciers, the permafrost, less snow, uh, tree lines are shifting, plant species are shifting. That affects the herbivores, which in turn is going to affect, you know, it affects the entire food web from the bottom up all the way to snow leopards. So what this 
conglomerate is doing is they've identified local conservation units, identified the top threats, and then have been working with the government agencies to preserve. So, so for example, what's working really well is engaging locals. And, and that seems to be something the last year or two you and I have, have seen more of shifts in conservation where these organizations are going in and, and empowering locals to preserve their their backyards, mm-hmm. right? So I did find a study just on attitude changes when these conservation organizations like the Snow Leopard Trust have gone in and worked with locals to shift attitudes and develop programs where if a snow leopard kills one of your livestock, you're compensated by the government. Also go in and educate the locals on how snow leopards are bringing in tourists and all these other animals to those regions. And so the attitude, this is really interesting in Nepal, at least in in some of these regions, in 1993, 60% of those Nepalese polled had a very negative attitude towards snow leopards. And that shifted in 2019, it dropped from 60% very negative to only 4%. So the locals do see the benefit of snow leopards. They they do understand the benefit. There are still some concerns, you know, with certain bans that have been in place and it affecting their livelihoods, but they are working with the governments to, you know, show the benefits. So the Snow Leopard Trust, which you're going to talk about, many success stories, World Wildlife Fund doing much great, is doing a lot of work in their range. And there has been, I guess, in the last decade, a major effort to preserve these cats. Yeah, it's really positive, uplifting news. Uh, Of course, there's a ton of work to be done. But for me, it was really exciting reading some of these articles and exploring some of these conservation groups that are fighting so hard for this cat. They have been for a while and are getting really good data by putting collars on them and trying to understand more just about their elusive habits and behaviors so that they can better protect them, not only from retaliatory killing or poaching, um, but just in general from disease and, and global climate change and other things. So yeah, for me, it, it's very hopeful. It is. It is is very hopeful for the snow leopard. Now, looking at evolution, we've done th- you know cats. So I'll, I'll give the Cliff Notes version. I mean, obviously, it's, if we go to the order, it's a carnivore. About we say about almost two hundred eighty species. So we have plenty to go. Yay! I know the suborders Filiformia, so the cat like carnivore, cat like carnivores, fifty six genera, one hundred fourteen species. The family is Felidae. These are the cats. Mm-hmm. 41 species. Subfamily Pantherinae. And the genus is Panthera. So the Pantheras are big cats. These are our five species, which we've covered tigers. We've covered lions. We've covered jaguars. We've covered leopards, which is your, your African, your Indian, and then snow leopards. So not many of them left for us to, to cover. Now, looking at the species specifically, Panthera uncia is the name. They Doing genetics, they have proposed, this is back in 2017, 18, when this data came out, of three subspecies. 
hasn't been formally recognized, but they're proposing it. So you have uh, one subspecies in the Pamir Mountains, uh, one species in Mongolia, and then the others in the Himalayas and parts of China. So those are the three that they're proposing proposing, but right now today it's recognized as a single species. Uh, I love looking at cats, like just the lineages, you know, we did clouded leopards, which are not part of the big Panthera family. They were actually one of the earliest. We talked about this when we covered them. One of the earlier breakouts. Lineages. Lineages. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Because they have the largest canines of any cat to skull size. Pretty cool. Yeah. 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 So, one of the things I looked at, Angie, was the myocids. I have been saying this with any carnivore. And just really quickly, when I say that, the myocids existed from 62 million years ago up to 34 million years ago. They lived for like 28 million years, which is insane. Like a long, wow, long time. Yeah. And this was the ancestor to all of today's carnivores. They look like a mustelid. So, you know, just a very cool looking ancient animal. So anyways, that's where our carnivores came, came about 42 million years ago is when now from the myocids, they started to branch out into to canids and felids. The earliest cat 30 million years ago, the most common ancestor we trace back into Asia about 11 million years ago, and then clouded leopards were the first to get out. So Panthera came out about 6 million years ago, Central Asia. And the funny thing is, is this ancient big cat is very much like a snow leopard uh, in the physiology and in the skull structure and things. Now, snow leopards went and formed a sister group with tigers. And then... The jaguars went off on their own, and then leopards and lions had their own sister group. So that's how they're 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 grouped out. Now, t- snow leopards and tigers, it's estimated about three, you know, two point seven to three point seven million years ago is when they diverged. And snow leopards have been around for hundred, you know, today's current form, probably hundreds of thousands of years, if not a couple million years. So, you know, really successful predator found its niche in these mountain ranges. And boy, did they ever find their uh, niche with all their adaptations and yeah, yeah, apex. They are uh, king of those mountains. That's for sure. Now, I I did find a cool looking uh, cat, ancient cat that was very, it was closely related to snow leopards. It was called. The scimitar toothed cat or scimitar cat. Mm -hmm. And it was really unique. I thought this was funny because it, it has a physiology almost of a hyena. It had a sloped back. So it had long front legs and shorter hind legs. This cat was known as homotherium. This was massive, weighed, you know, 190 kilograms, over 400 pounds, was three feet, seven inches at the shoulder, over a meter. It was, it was the size of a male African lion, but kind of looked like a, a hyena in, in body so- shape. It would hunt young mammoths. They, I was reading this study about them. I just I love looking at these ancient things and then reading up on them. But they did find a lot of uh, mammoth bones in caves that these cats had killed 
because it was fresh wounds on the bones of young mammoth. So they can tell that, you know, it wasn't a scavenge that it looked like hunting. So they lived in Eurasia and North America and they died out at the end of the ice age, like a lot of uh, these big species, but so many cool ancient animals that live out there. So fun. That's why I love going to the natural history history museum and uh, seeing them all. Right. It's just like, for me, it's like better than going to the movies. It just makes my, my imagination run wild. That's for sure. Well, and humans were living with some of these creatures. Right. That's, that's what's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh yeah, was it that long ago? Actually, it, it, you know, blink of an eye, and, and and really, when you look at it, that human beings were were chasing or running from some of these things, or chasing some of them. So, now what we know about lifespans of snow leopards, the one Char, the one I I got to see and, and play with, and I forgot the female's name, but she was fifteen, he was sixteen. They were pretty old. The average under human care lifespan is about 18 years. They did have one reported that lived to be over 21, but they're so elusive in the wild. We don't know how long they live in the wild, but you can imagine, I think it was male lions. Their average lifespan in the wild was like two years, but it's a little bit different there because that's prides versus snow leopards. But I imagine their lifespans aren't aren't much more than a decade, maybe 12 years in the wild. Well, and just the agility they need to get up and down the mountains. And yeah, uh, I, I would imagine it's it's not the uh, 18 years of age that no, it can be, be under human care. Yeah. yeah, maybe some females or something could live close to that, but probably not. Now, as far as speed, they're pretty fast. I mean, 35, 40 miles per hour, you know, it's 50 to 80 kilometers per hour for short distances, but obviously not built like a cheetah. They don't need to run that fast. I mean, they're they're chasing prey up and down uh, cliffs. Uh, with that being said, though, they can leap up to 30 feet. Yeah, Chris, one of the statistics I was reading is that when they're leaping or jumping uh, horizontally, they can cover over 50 feet in one bound, five zero. So that's just a huge, huge space. And then, like you said, about 20 feet or so vertically up and down, which is incredible in its own right as well. So just brilliant, incredible jumpers, athletes, which makes sense as they're moving up and down the mountains and trying to capture their prey, but just incredible. Oh, it's, it's nuts. It's nuts to, to see how agile they are. And, and when you watch that hunting sequence, you're just like, wow. I mean, even the herbivores that that run from them, their agility is just crazy, crazy. Now, some of the things that make snow leopards unique in the felid or, or panthera family really is their physiology to survive in this cold environment, I always go back to all the winter animals we cover. I mean, things like their ears are smaller and rounded to minimize heat loss. So again, trying to stay warm, maintain body heat, reduce energy expenditure to survive. That compared to other felids, they actually, they have much larger nasal cavities. Oh yes, Chris, those large wide nasal passages and actually a wide chest too, uh, is a really important adaptation for oxygen and getting more oxygen into the body at these higher altitudes where there's less oxygen in the air. And then what the snow leopard does is once they get more of that air in through these wide nasal passages and these larger, wider chests, they're super efficient 
is how they move oxygen to the parts of the body that need it. And they do this by having more red blood cells, which is what the oxygen binds to, and then the red blood cells travel all over the body and, and give it to the tissue and muscles that need it. So they have more of these red blood cells than other cats, but they're also smaller in size. And because they're smaller in size, there can be more red blood cells. So just a super unique physiology uh, when it comes to uh, getting more oxygen in and then use, utilizing it more efficiently throughout the body compared to other other cats. Oh yeah, it makes sense. I mean, they're, they're so adapted to you know lower oxygen environments, the cold. So you talk about those paws earlier, you know. Oh, I'm smiling right now. <laughs> those paws. I know. Well, I mean, they're, they're massive. Yeah, mm-hmm. massive. Four mm-hmm. inches. The average size of the front, because the front are bigger than the back, is four inches or up to 10 centimeters. The back are three inches or eight centimeters in width. So it's kind of like, you know, we just did the snowshoe hair, you know, helps them stay Walk on the on snow. snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then they have their... their you know, legs are a little bit longer, their hind legs a little bit longer uh, to help them, you know, jump and things that we just talked about. And then looking at their fur, so their coats, right? So I know you had a husky. (laughs) I did, Sinatra. I rescued him from a kid in college that couldn't take care of him. And I was like, I'll find him a nice home on a farm. Yeah. And that was that was me. <laughs> <laughs> that was your home. <laughs> oh, Sinatra, bless that dog's heart. We we still tell stories about him all the time. He was a character and he had a lot of hair. <laughs> yeah. You know, the snow leopards molt twice per year. So I imagine Sinatra was molting like every day. <laughs> oh gosh, yes. <laughs> Especially so, when I moved to Florida. Yeah, yeah. But they get, you know, in the in the winter they'll have a longer and thicker coat uh, than the summer. So in the summer their fur length is about an inch or two and a half centimeters on the side, two inches, five centimeters on the belly and tail. In the winter, that gets up to two inches long on the sides and then up to five inches long on the belly. So the, their fur just, you know, obviously to protect them from the right. cold. Right. And when we think about this thick, long, puffy, I just love that mm-hmm. term, uh, coat, the science behind it is that the snow leopard has one of the densest or hairs packed into a bunch fur of all cats. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. There's over 25,000 hairs per square inch. And just to give you a number to help relate that, humans have a little over a thousand hairs per square inch. Maybe higher if you're my husband. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking at me. What For you- example. <laughs> Not to uh, yeah. throw you or John under the bus, but uh, uh, but yeah, but still, but nowhere near 25,000 hairs per square inch, right? No, so no. just super dense, super yeah. dense um, and giving it a very appealing, furry or puffy uh, look in my opinion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. You know, all cats are just beautiful. So, you know, that that's their survival in these alpine environments. And then when we look at their, their hunting, their nutrition, I mean, opportunistic carnivore, one of the the primary prey species you'll see quoted quite often is blue sheep, but you know, wild boars, Tibetan antelope, wild donkeys, wild yaks, musk deer. Ibex. uh, Yeah. Then I read the Markors. That was a, a cool sheep. We may want to cover at one point. 
I did have fun looking at all these mountain Asian ungulates that I'm not mm. familiar with. Mm-hmm. I did a little bit of background on the tar, the Himalayan tar, T-A-H-R. Yes. Uh-huh. Gorgeous. Oh, yeah. beautiful yeah. Uh, sheep, goat-like ungulate that just was stunning and I never heard of. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's fun to read about all these and we'll have to uh, cover one of these prey items soon. We will. We will have to get back to some ungulates. It's been a while. So yeah, I mean, a wide variety of of larger prey, and then smaller prey. They'll you know, mice, birds, pikas, oh, voles, marmots, hares. You know, so the, the, again, opportunistic carnivore. And unfortunately, because some of these ungulates are you know endangered or disappearing. Mm-hmm. The snow leopards have turned to domestic livestock. So that's where you're running into some problems with them killing livestock and then retaliatory killing. So that's why we're seeing that. Now, one thing I, I did read, which is interesting, they need to kill about 20 to 30 adult sheep a year to survive. So, you know, they can survive on a single one of these ungulates for about two weeks before they have to hunt again. Oh, that's pretty good. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They survive pretty well, you know, and then they will eat most of the carcass and, mm-hmm. you know, stash it and come back and eat some more. Um, so, so they're pretty efficient, you know, pretty efficient. Yeah. And using their fur, beautiful fur and their camouflage and their elusive nature, uh, the snow leopards preferred hunting style is basically going to be stalk and then ambush from above. So they'll use this rocky mountain terrain and the shrubby vegetation to hide uh, and conceal themselves. And then, wha-bam, they'll attack as they're moving downward to give them probably that extra gravity edge as they're moving down on the prey. Oh, and they just, they blend in really well, really well. Very elusive, yes. Yes. <laughs> it's like I've seen pictures on the web. They're like, can you spot the snow leopard? And I remember. Oh, one, I love that photo. It's like, yeah. no, I can't, I can't. <laughs> help me out here. Yeah. And then the, you read the, you know, somebody gives you the cheat and you read it. And you're like, oh, my God, and there it is. There yeah. it is. They're hidden yeah. that well. They're just, uh, they're amazing. So what other awesome behaviors do they have? Well, Chris, as we've kind of touched on before, uh, Seeing them and observing them for long period of time in the wild is pretty rare, uh, even with all the technology today. So it's hard for researchers to get in there or conservationists to do a, a lot of behavioral studies like you might with a primate species where you can just look up and perhaps see them in the tree or conceal yourself. Uh, they're just really, really shy and they camouflage well and they also are just very secretive. But I found a fun study that got a little bit creative out of the Israeli Journal of Ecology and Evolution. It's a little bit dated, published back in 2009. They decided to instead study the prey, the behavior of the Himalayan tar, one of their favorite prey species in the Mount Everest region of Nepal. And knowing that the snow leopard is an apex predator and that healthy populations of snow leopards would mean healthy populations of Himalayan tars, that there's a good chance that they can find them together. And so they basically use the vigilance behavior or the alert behavior of the Himalayan tar. Uh, That's where the, uh, the ungulate will 
look up and look around and and that behavior is best described as a lookout or I hear something, what's happening, I'm going to pay attention over there because that's where the sound's coming from or that's where the movement's coming from. And so by using the Himalayan tar vigilant behavior plus understanding how these ungulates forage, uh, they were able to actually see lots of sightings of snow leopards. And from those sightings, they were able to learn a little bit more about the predator-prey interactions in this region. So I just thought it was a really clever kind of workaround Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, as far as how to study and learn more about the snow leopard. And not that they don't necessarily care about the Himalayan tar as well, uh, but that they would basically lead them to the the snow leopards. That's cool. Yeah. You should use that technique when you go to Africa and look for leopards. (laughs) Seriously. Okay. Like, what do they eat around here? Let's (laughs) let me just focus on that. Uh, Yeah. It's really, it's really not a bad idea. And, uh, and of course, uh, because of their secret behavior, researchers will use camera traps a lot uh, as well to help monitor their populations. And I'll talk a little bit more about that towards the end of the podcast. But what we do know about snow leopards in general, their activity is primarily during dusk and dawn or crepuscular. That's when they're going to be hunting and moving around. And as Chris uh, highlighted earlier, snow leopards have a really big territory. So they're really mobile within their territory and they cover a lot of ground uh, when they are moving. And so therefore their denning or bedding down site might even shift throughout um, the day or the time that they're hunting to different parts of their range. Just like your cat at home, snow leopards love to be on elevated structures and looking Mm -hmm. down, right? Mm -hmm. And if you are ever lucky enough to see one in the wild, you'll probably only see one snow leopard because they're a solitary big cat. Unless it's a a mom with her cubs, they're usually only going to come together to breed during mating season. But when snow leopards do come together or they do need to communicate to other snow leopards that it's breeding season or I'm a female in estrus or I'm a male and this is my territory, a snow leopard makes lots of sounds. Uh, Similar to other large cats, they can hiss, growl, moan, yowl, they purr. And then they also do one of my favorite big cat sounds, chuff. Uh, chuffing is a noise that's uh, very loving, non-aggressive, and similar to purring where it's uh, emitted through the cat's nose. And researchers think in the wild that the chuffing noise is used as a way to greet one another. And so if you are lucky enough to work with a snow leopard under human care and they chuff at you, they love you. That's They're happy with you. <laughs> they're in a happy spot. Yes. Uh, so... I think it's also important to note that snow leopards do not roar. They make a loud yowl that could that can maybe be confused with a roar, but it's technically not a roar. It's more of a yowl. And when it comes to visual communication, they're pretty similar to your kitty cat at home. A snow leopard will use its face to communicate how it feels. Uh, And so when they're defensive, they're going to show their teeth. uh, And when they're excited, they might open their mouth or wrinkle their nose, depending on if they're curious or starting to get angry. And their tail, that long, beautiful, puffy tail, also uh, elicits a lot of communications depending on what mood they are in. Just like regular cats, right? Like, you know, you yeah. know your own kitty cats, they like, 
you can tell when they're about to strike that tail's going whack, whack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and when they're really happy, they'll rub their heads and necks um, on their on their partner or on an object, a scent mark as well. Uh, the snow leopard not only uh, marks by rubbing its head on things, but also by scraping and spraying urine. In fact, I saw some really cool footage of wild snow leopards uh, spraying the rocky terrain where probably where they live, uh, letting people know that this is my home. And then the awesome researchers were like, they like smelled it and they're like, yeah, this is fresh. Oh, <laughs> and I loved it. I was like, that's hardcore rock star stuff. I yes, love it. Yep, this is yep, awesome. I would do yep. the exact same thing. Yep, yep. So, but the, but these scent markings along the rocky terrain are really, really important ways to communicate with one another of who lives where and what, um, you know, are they a male? Are they a female? Are they in season? Are they not? So, so this pungent urine is definitely an important part of their communication system. Yeah. And it reminds me, I, again, there's been so many awesome documentaries, but I remember one of the camera traps caught a male and female snow leopard. And maybe that was the marking one. I remember seeing that. Um, and then they ended up breeding, you know, with that. So talk about reproduction. What researchers know about snow leopard reproduction is that their breeding season is usually going to be um, in the late winter from January to March. And it's pretty seasonal um, when it's in the wild. And when a female snow leopard is an estrus, you'll know it. Uh, she makes a very long yowling sound, and the males like that noise. And in the wild, snow leopards are polygamous. However, they have been known to become monogamous under human care. So in the wild, when male and female do come together and choose each other as partners, uh, they're going to do a lot of aloe grooming, a lot of chuffing, during this time to show that they're in love with each other. And the female will present to the male by lifting her tail, walking in front of him. And then, of course, he's able to smell all of her wonderful scents and her urine and know and know that she is definitely cycling and will be receptive to his advances. And when a female snow leopard uh, becomes pregnant, her gestation period is about 90 to 100 days. And the cubs will be born in the spring anywhere from April to June. The female snow leopard will give, give birth to anywhere from two to three cubs, but there has been reports of up to five, which would just be darling. <laughs> Let's hope for that this season. Yes. Yeah. Uh, where they're, they're small and they don't have their eyes open. They're about 300 to 600 grams. And it, she'll typically give birth in like a rocky shelter or a cave-like structure or den. And these cubs, of course, are completely dependent on mom snow leopard to give them everything they need. And the snow leopard cubs aren't weaned until they're about five months old when they start eating salad food. And then, Chris, I was ex really excited to find a study just from 2021 in Mammalian Biology, which is a very good journal, that was looking at the time of breeding and independence for snow leopard females and their cubs uh, with several uh, researchers on this article. And these researchers were able to track several uh, female snow leopards and their cubs uh, for a long period of time. And they realized that snow leopards will stay with their mom for almost two years. 
So it takes them a long time to become independent uh, from their mom. And it's probably because of all the hunting skills she has to teach them in that terrain and uh, that tough environment. So it's really impressive uh, how long they stayed by her side. And that uh, the researchers also know that females even stuck around a little bit longer where males would disperse quicker. Uh, and uh, it, it just really goes to show how much maternal investment that she's putting into her cubs and that obviously she's not breeding every spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that the, they're not replacing themselves that quickly, you know, that, that it is a, a huge investment in getting them to adulthood yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and males don't reach sexual maturity until they're about four years old, and females are about two to three. Yeah. So depending on how long they live, mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely something to keep our eye on, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it made me think too, Angie, when, you know, we covered it in the Lynx episode. So there's about, you know, we said the population's over, could be over 6,000 mature individuals, again, over millions of square miles. But there are 600 snow leopards in zoos around the world with captive breeding programs. And you mentioned this in the Lynx episode a few weeks back that we are learning how to train and release wild cats. So, you know, they when you do see them at your zoos, your accredited zoos, just know that they are playing a role in preserving this species because, again, they are endangered but I really want to hear what you have to say about the snow leopard trust. I've known about them for a number of years. I follow them, you know, on social media, but they do amazing work with these snow leopards. Amazing work. Oh yeah. Chris, I totally want to work for them. I'm like, Oh my gosh, so amazing. But snow leopard trust can be found at snowleopard.org, and their mission is to aim to understand uh, the endangered snow leopard and help protect the cat in partnership with communities that share the area it inhabits. And they do this by leading several efforts from conservation programs to awesome research, to environmental education, to the policy and network and red tape type stuff that's super important to save species. They do all that across 12 range countries in South and Central Asia. And the Snow Leopard Trust works really hard with five key countries that have 75% of these cats in the wild. Uh, so uh, they're just doing so much. And they have a fascinating website filled with facts. And it shares really good details about what they're doing and how they do it. Uh, awesome social media sites. So give them a like and a follow. And we'll put all this information on our show notes. But what I really want to highlight and share with everyone is their progress. So the Snow Leopard Trust uh, put out a list of recent progress that they've done uh, to help conserve the snow leopard. And for example, they've tracked over 20 snow leopards with GPS collars, and they have all of this amazing data on the behavior ecology coming in that's just never been known before. And so they're sorting through that. And because of the camera traps, the Snow Leopard Trust has the largest library of photos of snow leopards in the world. And they're helping lead the research on how young snow leopards will disperse or leave their mothers um, when they're of age. And they're also learning and tracking how two snow leopards are migrating across the steppe into different mountain chains. Mm-hmm which has really cool and not been documented before. 
And what really got me so happy and hopeful, Chris, is that they found a wild insight that has three snow leopard mothers with their cubs. Oh, wow. And so they're learning more about that. And they're, fir- they're the first to understand this or discover this and publish right, these right. photos. And this page proceeds to talk not only about their, uh, their progress in ecology and conservation, but also in education and policy. I mean, it's just incredible and really hopeful. And it just makes me feel good. <laughs> that yeah. This group is out there working, this large group is out there working so hard for working on an international level, working with policy, and mm-hmm. then working with local people in the area, which Chris highlighted earlier is such an important part of conservation. So check out snowleopard.org. I cannot say enough about yes. this group and what they're doing. It's, it's, it might, hats off, a standing ovation. Um, cheers to you in 2022. If you have money to donate, to them or to their cause, please do. And if you don't have money, I totally understand, but definitely give them um, a like or a follow on social media. You will, you will not be disappointed. Absolutely. I did. I went to their website looking up some stuff. So it's, it's awesome, beautiful. isn't it? Yeah, it's a beautiful, it's beautiful. And these cats are beautiful. Well, if you love cats, some other episodes of ours that you may not be aware of, Angie episode five leopards, I'd say, don't listen to that one. Skip on Please. to episode 53, <laughs> where we covered lions. Episode 83 and 85 are is our big tiger episode. We did two because there was so much to cover. And in between that, I do want to highlight our interview or Angie's interview with Sonarto, uh, you know, World Wildlife Fund scientist who was in Java when Angie talked to him. Episode 102 is the cheetah. Episode 153 is Jaguars. Episode 240 was Clouded Leopards. Amazing cousin uh, to the Snow Leopard. And then episode 257 we just did a few weeks back with the Eurasian Lynx. So it might be a while till we get to another cat, but there's so many more we want to do. It's like I want to do those little sand cats from Africa, the black-footed cat. Uh, I'm a fishing cat. Fishing cat, uh, uh, the one in Scotland that that they want to re-release. So there, there's a bunch of them that are fun to cover, and we will in the future. But if you can't get enough of cats, there's some other episodes you can go back and listen to. And I would just add, if you get a chance, um, go to YouTube and search Snow Leopards, Ghost in the Snow. It is a fantastic uh, four-part series by BBC Earth with director and presenter Dan O'Neill. Uh, snow leopards, ghosts in the snow. It showcases the conservation story of snow leopards, their threats, and the movement to protect these snow leopards in Kyrgyzstan, which is a country in Central Asia, which is thought to have the largest population of s- snow leopards. So it showcases what's happening, but also highlights that the conservation efforts that um, Kyrgyzstan is implementing. Uh, due to several organizations and, of course, uh, the government itself, that these conservation efforts are paying off little by little and um, and will hopefully uh, help put this country on the map for uh, wildlife tourism for snow leopards. So, yeah. No, yeah. No, yeah. Anyways, it's a great BBC Earth. They're amazing. Uh, yeah. Ghost in the Snow. Check it out. 
Yeah, we'll try to link that on the website too when we do the write-up uh, here in the next week or so. But thank you for listening. Uh, you know, next week, fun, another fun spe- – I'm excited. Uh, I was excited about this one. I'm excited every week, but definitely excited about this one, but I'm really excited about what we're going to cover next week. So stay tuned. Yes, everyone. Thank you for listening. And if you made it this far <laughs> – <laughs> That's your job. <laughs> That's my chuff. That's my chuff to you all. Yes, <laughs> my ch- yes. my chuff to all of our listeners. Thank you. <laughs> Love it. Uh, take care. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.